So the little, little voice in back of my mind that says, well, would we be funded by now if, if I were going about this a different way or if I were a different person, but I am sort of who I am, so I have to accept that. Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. You, he chuckled as he collected his thoughts. You remind me of a darter fish. You jump from idea to idea, person to person, with such ease, just like they jump from stream to stream. He slumped back in his chair and had this big smile of satisfaction, like it took all of his might to not say, Nailed it. The he was my boss at the time, and he actually meant this as a real compliment. But it stung. Badly. He was suggesting that I was skilled at exposing myself to new people and new ideas, and yet all I heard was sloppy, distracted, unfocused, messy, failure. Have you or a little voice within ever asked yourself the question, I wonder if this organization would be better off with someone else in my role? If only, I thought to myself, if only I was more like Jason or Albert or Wayne, and I wasn't so damn distracted, I'd be further along, whatever that means. If only I could be more like someone else, I'd be better off. Bullshit. Here's the thing. I am a darter. That's part of who I am. For so many years, my massive curiosity and genuine interest in the stories of others was nothing more than a tool for self-deprecation. It came so easily to me, seemed so ordinary, that I thought it must not be important. It must be a flaw in need of a fix or a mess in need of a cleaning. And yet, when you ask people, what's my greatest strength? What's my superpower? What do they say? Well, they more or less call me a tartar. So at some point, and to be honest, I'm still working on this, I transitioned from beating myself up to trying to embrace it. What if I stopped trying to be like someone else and focused on being even more like myself and embracing the darter? Well, it helps me uncover golden opportunities, generate innovative ideas, spark new and exciting partnerships. I like being a darter. In this podcast, Kent Cavender Bears, a listener from Robots, comes to Jerry with a question about his superpower. What if my deep integrity, my commitment to simply telling how it is, is the reason we're unable to fundraise. Wouldn't robots be further along if someone else was leading? Jerry and Ken explore the double-edged sword of a superpower and how the path through his challenges may lie in a new set of questions. How can I be even more like Kent? How can I embrace my superpower? And why is that so damned important? When you really do your work and lean into the tender spots and retrieve your superpower, you help others retrieve theirs. For Kent, it's about so much more than his company. It's about feeding humanity. A Reboot Peer Group is a hand-selected group of entrepreneurs and leaders who meet in supportive Reboot Coach-facilitated sessions twice a month. So what are these groups really like? We asked a peer group member to share his experience. Hi, my name is Bobby Brannigan. 
I'm co-founder and CEO at Mercado. One of the biggest challenges that I've faced as an entrepreneur has been navigating the waters of solving hard problems while under extreme stress. You can't be open and honest with everyone about your business, right? Because you don't want to scare people away. You don't want to get people nervous because that's going to affect their ability to do what they have to do. At the same time, you know, there's not a lot of people that actually could relate to these situations. So having a group you could turn to is extremely beneficial and allows you not only to spend more time thinking about these issues and how to better solve them, but hearing yourself explain them out loud and getting people to question different routes that you might think about taking and, and that kind of stuff is invaluable. It's been great to have that group to really think in a much deeper sense with people that are sharing the same challenge and they're really trying to grow and really get out of that comfort zone just as I am. That's been really excellent for me. So who do you turn to? What if you had a community of peers who are committed to supporting you, like Bobby? A group you knew you could always count on. There's great power in knowing you are not alone. Learn more about Reboot's peer groups at reboot.io slash peers. Never let the odds keep you from doing what you know in your heart you were meant to do. H. Jackson Brown, Jr. Hey, Kent, how are you? It's good to meet you. Uh, Very good to meet you. I'm doing well. Good, good. Excited to be here. Thank you for coming on. And, and, uh, you know, before we get started, why don't you just introduce yourself and the company, and then we'll talk a little bit about how it came about that that we're talking today. Sure. Uh, I'm Kent Cavender-Bears. I'm the CEO of a startup based here in uh, the Midwest, in Minneapolis. It's called Robot. And we are trying to change big-scale agriculture by introducing a new type of equipment, uh, so small robotic machines, to help farmers make more money and be better stewards of the environment at the same time. And it's a company I started with my two brothers. One's a farmer and one's a robotics expert. I'm an environmental engineer slash scientist. Gotcha. Which sort of gets it part of the reason for reaching out. Yeah. Yeah. So t- t- tell, tell me about that. I mean, I know you, you, you were so kind to email me and let me know that, that you really uh, enjoyed the podcast. Uh, tell me about reaching out and, and what was that like for you and that sort of thing? Sure. Well, I had listened to one of your recent episodes where you were discussing uh, certain entrepreneurs' superpower. Oh, yes. And as I took it, those it's sort of a double-edged sword, that it's a, it's a power, but it can also be a vulnerability. And I was just exploring that in my mind and um, feel like, don't want to turn it into necessarily a superpower, but when I think of the strength that I have, it's a real deep integrity uh, background in science, sort of got drilled into my head for years that uh, you get rewarded for presenting things as they are and drawing connections and things like that, but not getting rewarded for overselling. Mm-hmm. And so obviously as an entrepreneur that in a, an aspiring growth company, we need to raise a lot of capital. And so that journey has been challenging, uh, to put it mildly. Mm-hmm. And there's a number of interpretations. One is, I think if we were doing a sort of a Me Too 
company that was another software company mm-hmm. around familiar areas than um, sort of a lull in fundraising might really point back at me and my capabilities. And maybe that is the problem, but we're also trying something really challenging. Hardware company requires a lot of capital to even get to serious revenue. And, and so that's sort of the predicament is, is my, the way I come at this. And I know you talk a lot about authentic leadership. I think anyone who knows me would say that I am authentic. I'm not, I, I sort of pride myself in presenting the story as it is and try not to dress it up too much. I can get excited and enthusiastic, but um, I'm probably not the quintessential salesperson in the sense that I can convince everybody of anything, whether it's real or imaginary. And so a little, little voice in the back of my mind that says, well, would we be funded by now if if I were going about this a different way or if I were a different person, but I am sort of who I am. So I have to accept that. Yeah. So thank you for that. And thank you for the honesty and the vulnerability and the authenticity in just presenting that. You know, it becomes, it's very, very clear that there's like, even as you spoke, it felt like you were dropping into who you really are and just being here with it. And yeah, I, I do believe in the power of, of doing that. Um, so I have a lot of reactions and, and thoughts. Um, the first area I wanted to explore a little bit was around this notion of, you know, your core question is, in a sense, is this my superpower? And I love your understanding of it because I think you understand it really quite well, which is that what I'm trying to do with, with, by, by taking over language like that is to help people realize that the totality of who they are, the character structure of who they are, their totality of their experiences is by definition neither good nor bad. Right? It's not essentially good or essentially bad. It just is. And it's how we approach our own sensibility about ourselves that, um, as the Buddha taught, increases our own suffering. Right? It increases our own sense of inadequacy. And so, for example, you carry a point of view. And that point of view is, I like to say things as, it, as they are. I don't oversell, was the word you used in the email. Um, another word you used is sizzle. And there's an implicit belief there, right? The, the implicit belief is that there's a value in speaking truth and t- telling how things are. And that's a core value of yours, isn't it? Absolutely. 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 Right. And yet there's a self-doubt. And the self-doubt is, because this is who I am, is this the way in which I'm inadequate? Right? And notice the language I use. Is this the way in which I'm inadequate? Because we all know we're all inadequate. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. And you're laughing because, because you can feel the language, right? Tell, tell, tell me the reaction. Well, yeah, if we didn't think we were inadequate, then we'd be up on some pedestal, right? Uh, I right. mean, there's probably, 
I don't know how many different ways I'm inadequate. It's the question is, is this the one that is um, sort of a roadblock in the well, well, the well, business? The, well, right. The, the the secondary story that you're telling yourself is that this is the this is potentially the reason why fundraising is difficult, right? So yep. there's a basic belief: it, is this one of the ways in which I'm inadequate? And then there's this secondary belief. And is that inadequacy the reason why we're struggling? Now, you're a scientist, so I'm going to use a little logic here. You said something kind of in an offhand way as if it were true. And I just want to take you back to it. You said something like, well, of course we're inadequate, because if not, I'd be on a pedestal. Really? There's no state between being on a pedestal and being inadequate? Really? Well, I guess I was thinking that there are many ways one can be inadequate. And if we had solved all of those, that it's sort of an imaginary person, I guess, because I don't think they exist. Um, so, and- okay, so if the, the, the person who doesn't have any inadequacies doesn't really exist... Do you see the falsity that's here? <laughs> yes. Right? Do you, do you have kids? Yes. Yeah. How old, have, how old are they? We have a 10-year-old and a 14-year-old. Girls. Okay. Girls. Oh, beautiful. So you've just been through middle school with one and in the middle for the other. Eh? Very, yes. <laughs> okay. What are their names? Valerie's 14 and Celine is 10. All right. Imagine Valerie and Celine came to you and said, Dad... Daddy, I'm terrible. If I'm not the best, then I must be terrible. What would you say to her? Is that a true statement? No. And I would, I would try one of 20 different ways to convince her that um, there's all variations on achievement and, and not to try to downplay if she's feeling bad about a particular the underlying reason but to just explain that there's a bigger context and and let's go one step further uh, uh, if one of them gets a bad grade or they don't make the club that they want to make or or as happened to my daughter one time she wasn't allowed to sit at the cool kids table in middle school so she bravely formed the losers table because right? <laughs> middle school is just so awful if they had that disappointment. What do you know to be true about their self-worth as a consequence of not achieving the thing that they wanted to achieve? How, how valuable are they as a human being yeah. if they get a B instead of an A? So to me, that it's changed zero. To them, in that moment, I know it's change dramatically right and it's the big huge thing that's in their life at that moment right and so to you there's no diminution of worth or value or lovability zero regardless of what's going on so why can you give that love to your children but not to yourself um well, that, it's a great question and probably um, the concern that I'm letting others down, right? Because yeah. there are people in the company that, that, who have put real money in 
family, uh, yeah. friends, okay. non-friends. So, so now we're getting to it, right? So there's a value system that you hold. And the value system is do not oversell. The value system is say what you mean, mean what you say, right? Correct. It's a great line from Horton, here's a who, right? Um, Dr. Seuss is brilliant. And as friends have probably pointed out to you, uh, in your email, you talked about the, how the investors said to you, your integrity is one of the reasons why I invested in you. And I know that the investor also said this whole thing about a lack of sizzle. So we'll talk about sizzle in a second. But the people who love you, how did they respond to that Horton-like quality within you of saying what you mean and mean what you say and delivering on, you know, the things that you say and not overselling, not overpromising, even though you're enthusiastic? How do they feel about that? I think it's people trust me. If I say I'm going to do something, I do it. That's it. That's it. So your question was, is that a superpower? And I think, I think it is, but I don't, but I think that the challenge is really the way in which you're approaching the question of what is the downside to that? And so what I'd like to talk about is, is the fundraising process and the sizzle in that process. And then I want to circle back to this whole question of not letting people down. So tell me why fundraising has been so difficult. Well, it doesn't seem to be the making the connections. I've gotten into tons of meetings. So that part, I think we've solved. Getting past the initial meeting or two uh, and... I think there's a variety of reasons. One is we're trying to do something, start up in the middle of the country, which conventional wisdom is that that's hard. We're trying to do something in agriculture, which is hard. We're trying to do something not in specialty agriculture, but main large-scale ag, which means it's not California, which again is hard. Um, and it's a hardware company, which sort of all of that stacked together, it's, it's hard to know which of the things sort of jumps out. Um, I'm going to add to your list. Yep. You've never done this before. Correct. You have no track record. Uh, There are no unicorns in your business. And you know what a unicorn is, right? Yes. This nonsensical notion. Google's not going to swoop in and pay, you know, a hundred times EBITDA for this company Mm -hmm. because there's no value there. Right. So the, so the majority of the return on investment that venture capital is used to, you are outside that norm. It's just a fact. Mm-hmm. Okay. So looking at the, all the facts that we just laid out, of course it's hard. <laughs> right? Why do you have to reach into the inner bag of tricks to come up with the inner critic's voice? Right. And, and perhaps it's because there's a part of you that wants to say, well, being an entrepreneur, there is a kind of optimism that entrepreneurs have. Tell me about tell me about your perception of sizzle. Uh, 
So I think it's anywhere from simply being excited about the idea when in talking with others about it. And that part, I think I nail. I think I am quite excited. Um, the, the question for me is when that sort of blends into trying to inflate the story. Um, right. And so I think I just, that, that sort of feels like a third rail for me. Um, personally. And so I steer clear. Um, Probably the other, one other thing to mention about the whole fundraising process, which I know has come up, is that I do wear my emotions on my sleeve. I think that's the saying. And so if there's something fairly big going on, like co-founder gets poached by Uber, um, that's a hard thing for me to pretend didn't just happen. Um, And so I know there's been some feedback at a time like that where, you know, I felt I looked deflated or, uh, you know, maybe concerned. low energy or yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and yeah. so, so in a sense, the way you understand sizzle is selling something that may not exist, right? And and when I was a reporter, we used to call it vaporware. Mm-hmm. Right. Companies would come in and pitch vaporware all the time. Right. Um, and that's kind of an anathema to you. Yeah. Right. Selling something that you don't actually know to be true or believe to be true. Um, and it feels like, to use a phrase that other clients of mine have used, that that comes out of the startup playbook, that you're somehow supposed to sell something, even if you know it's not true. And. And so to be fair, it's not that um, not that I feel that it comes out of a playbook, but I've, I've sort of gotten the reaction and I've gotten mm-hmm. the feedback. And so maybe it's developed into um, a part of the playbook in a mm-hmm. sense. Uh, you know, I don't, I, what I really don't want to do is say that I, I observe a whole bunch of entrepreneurs out there selling stuff that they, you know, that isn't true because that's not what's going on. It's just... Um, you know, this is sort of my, mm-hmm. my creation of the sense of mm-hmm. sort of where the boundaries are for me. So I think you're actually asking a very, very different question, but it's related. And I think you're formulating it as like, what do I do with the fact that I have this personality type that has to say what I really believe in and in effect can only sell what I believe to be true and deliverable. Mm-hmm. And that there's a there's a corollary to this, which is that, and I actually end up showing up, even if that means I'm being emotional. So if I'm sad, I'm sad. If I'm happy, I'm happy. Okay, so the coach in me says, congratulations, that that's really key to resiliency, and it's a key to a kind of authentic presence and living. And so on the, on the inside, you're probably emotionally relatively healthy, even though you're struggling. Right. Mm -hmm. Because as a human being, there's a solidity to you because you're not stepping off into this realm of inauthenticity. So I'm going to give you some very specific and practical advice here. okay, in terms of fundraising, because that feels like it could really be helpful. I get it. I'm actually very similar. Right. I can be incredibly convincing and evangelizing if I believe in something. And so 
And I can't if I don't believe in it. I just won't even enter the arena. Mm-hmm. And so what I would suggest is that you, in effect, always, always present yourself as you are, even more than you're doing now. And it would go like this, because then the obvious question is, well, what if the investor seems to be asking me if I'm going to make $5 million in revenue next year, and there's no way I'm going to do that? Okay. Don't lie. First of all, they'll see through it. Second of all, if they, on the small chance, don't see through it, you don't want them as an investor. Mm-hmm. Third, you won't be able to live with yourself. Okay. So, so what is it that you then sell? You sell your belief. I'm going to take you back to what I think is your true superpower. Okay. It's not about this integrity. You know what it is? Mm. Okay. Your brother's a farmer. Why is this so important? Why is it important that we improve the efficacy of agriculture in the United States in 2015? What's at stake? I don't know about you, but I'm getting goosebumps. Yeah. What's at stake? Name it. It's sustainably feeding the planet. It's oh, that's all. <laughs> that's all. That's all. Yeah. Is that important? Yeah. Okay. How did your brother become a farmer? We we grew up around around farming, hobby uh-huh. farming. Uh huh. Uh huh. How important is farming to the community in Minneapolis? Even though so much of Minneapolis isn't about farming. Yeah, we're in the center of the Corn Belt here, so it's huge. How important is it to the Midwest? Huge. Ever feel like you get bypassed by what's going on on the coast? Oh, yeah, that's that's okay. The, yep. So I'm going to speak to my friends in the Midwest. My partner Allie grew up in Wisconsin. She can't understand my fascination with the Midwest. Okay, I am grateful to you and your families and all those generations of people who put food in my belly and the bellies of my children and the people that I love. It's super important what you guys are trying to do. And chances are really high, Kent, that you're going to fail. That's the truth. Yeah. Statistically speaking, right? If success is defined as financial return and your products being on the tractors of every farmer in the world, you're probably going to fail. Yeah. Should you do it anyway? Right. What comes to mind is a, is a, a brilliant notion that, that my friend and fellow Midwesterner, Parker Palmer, likes to speak of, which is living in the tragic gap, which is the gap between the world and that we know is possible and the world as it is. And that we're called to live in that gap and that it's painful. And so 
I often speak about how entrepreneurs are intriguing to me because they're pathologically optimistic. And a lot of entrepreneurs speak and connect to the deeper sense of purpose. And then I run into entrepreneurs like you. And you really are trying to actually make the world a better place by creating a slightly higher yield per acre. By making it slightly more effective and efficient for people to eat. That's all. Nothing significant there. So when you feel the siren call to sell, or when the inner critic is looking around, looking around to find all the myriad ways in which you're inadequate and lands on this core question of, well, you know, the truth is, Kent, you're really not that great a salesman. Right, just like it can land on anything else. Well, the truth is, you don't know what you're doing in terms of venture back startups. Come on. Oh, come on. The truth is, Ken, you don't know what you're doing. When that inner critic voice is looking to land, blow it a kiss, tell it to stand down. You got important work to do. And the work you're trying to do is to get people to understand that we actually have to change the way we grow and harvest food. Isn't that true? Mm -hmm. Sell that. Sell that. Can you sell that? Yeah, absolutely. And then tell the truth. We might fail. Here's a little secret. Most smart investors know you're probably going to fail. Okay, the investor who wants a guaranteed return on investment buys U.S. Treasury bonds. Okay, the investors that you're talking to, their job is to weigh and mitigate risk. Now, they may structure an onerous deal to mitigate that risk. And if they do, you can send me an email and we'll talk about how to compensate for that. That's free. Okay, but you sell your heart. So to me, the superpower here is your passion, is your meaning, is your purpose, is your belief. And then the corollary to that is don't worry so much about not being the entrepreneur cut from some other cloth. For God's sake, be you. Mm -hmm. Your daughters deserve that. You know? It reminds me of something a client once said to me. He was struggling because he had been promising the staff and keeping them, trans, you know, by being transparent, keeping them informed of the fundraising process. He'd been promising them or telling them that, that they were very close to getting a term sheet. And at the very last minute, uh, the investor pulled the term sheet. And he was frantic. And he said, what should I tell them? I said, how about the truth? And he was like shocked. But, but I said, what? You think they're all going to leave? So try it. If they leave, you didn't want them there in the first place. So he told them, and they all took a voluntary pay cut to keep the company going because they trusted him. How many employees do you have? Uh, a person and a half here, and we have a partnership with my brother's robotics company. So that allows us to sort of turn up, turn down. And so right now we're 
pretty well turned down. Gotcha. In terms of spend. Gotcha. So the who are the people that you're concerned about? The people who believe in you that you don't want to let down? Uh, you know, the brother who's put in money, the robotics company that's put in money, mm-hmm. uh, family, friends who've put in. I've loaned a bunch. And how about how about your wife? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we yeah. kind of had to make a housing decision based on the predicament that I'm in, which is not the decision we wanted to make. And yeah, yeah, you know, those kind of. Tell me her first name. Janine. Janine, right? Have you kept her informed? Yeah, yeah, that definitely helps. Does she have a choice? That is, does, does she? Have you given her the opportunity to participate in the decisions that you're making about the house and about family finances and that sort of thing? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Right. And what did she choose? Well, she chose to take the less stressful route, which was let's not overextend ourselves any further at the moment till right. we resolve my situation. Right. So what she's doing, though, is she's choosing to work with you. There's a belief in there. Right? Mm-hmm. You may fail. You may not be able to launch this product. That is true. But every single one of these opportunities is in every single one of these experiences, whether it's with your daughters, with your wife, with your brothers, with the investors, with the family, it's an opportunity for you to strengthen that connection and to go back to purpose. You may have to have a different plan. Mm-hmm. That is true. And that is life. Right? I, I will remind you of something that you've probably heard me say on the podcast before. In, in my nearly 20, 25 years of investing, I never, ever met a company that actually executed every step in their business plan. As I just said in a, in a, in a, in a meeting the other day, the pivot is the norm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so you may have to pivot your personal plan. So what? Yep. Okay. You take care of the family, you take care of yourself, and you take care of those ethics and those values. That's who you are. Am I seeing clearly into who you are? Yes. So that's your superpower. It's it's that inner sense of integrity that shines not only in your inability to sell something you don't believe in, but in your ability to stay connected to purpose. I don't know. How was that, my friend? Uh, really helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... Uh kind of feels like it knits together some a bunch of ideas some that were sort of not well thought out in my mind and some that were Mm -hmm. it it helps a lot Mm -hmm. you know the thing that occurs to me is sometimes when we start in an entrepreneurial endeavor we think that the purpose of the endeavor is to bring forth the project that we're working on i'm not so sure about that I think, you know, as a Buddhist, I believe in karma. And I think that the purpose is to 
and we say this a lot at Reboot, is to really use work to self-actualize and grow into a deeper uh, sense of our own self. Not in a self-absorbed way, but in a way of, well, who am I in the face of this obstacle? Hmm. Right? Um, uh, several years back, I wrote a blog post for Fred Wilson's blog called The Crucible of Leadership, in which I talked about those challenging moments being the moments in which a leader actually emerges. And the term crucible comes from Warren Bennis, uh, the brilliant leadership writer, who talks about crucible moments, the moments in which lead is burned away and gold emerges, or lead is transmuted into gold through the process of heat. And I also come to mind, think, think of uh, David White's brilliant book, Crossing the Unknown Sea, work as a pilgrimage of spirituality. I don't know why you started this company. And you may not know either. But it may not be merely to bring forth this product. And it may not even be to bring forth into people's consciousness and awareness the importance of supporting agriculture in a modern world. It may be something as less far-reaching as you going deeper within yourself and serving as a model for the people around you in that exploration, the adventure, the trying and failing and trying again, the knowing when to quit, the knowing when to stick with it, the stepping into the unknown path, because Prior to, were you an academic or you said you were a scientist? I uh, worked in uh, several nonprofits as a science advisor and then tried to start one right before this. Gotcha. Which also struggled. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I tried to start it sort of right after the collapse, which was not the best time to be raising money. Right. Right. So this is part of your journey. Yep. Right. Who are you as a man? in the face of these obstacles. I think that's your superpower. So. Was this helpful? Yes, definitely. Thank you, Jerry. And it was my pleasure. And, you know, I, I just want to say, I said this to you in email, I really appreciate when people write in after the podcast and talk about the ways in which they have impacted them. You know, um, Hearing from people and knowing that we're making a difference in what we're trying to do here and having dialogue about these existential challenges, it means a lot to me. Uh, obviously, from the work I do, I, I think that these questions are super important. Um, so I, I appreciate that, and I appreciate your big gulp that you took when I said, well, why don't you come on the show? <laughs> and. And my thanks to Janine, your wife, for encouraging you to say yes. <laughs> okay, great. All right. Thank you, my friend. So that's it for our conversation today. I know a lot was covered in this episode, from links to books to quotes to images. So we went ahead and compiled all that and put it on our site at reboot.io slash podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, you can find out about that on our site as well. 
I'm really grateful that you took the time to listen. If you enjoyed the show and you want to get all the latest episodes as we release them, head over to iTunes and subscribe. And while you're there, it would be great if you could leave us a review, letting us know how the show affected you. So thank you again for listening, and I really look forward to future conversations together. How long till my soul gets it right?